2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Please join with me in reading the Word of God. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Son. Father, thank you for the amazing salvation he has brought forth. Father, thank you that we are joint heirs with Christ, adopted into your family, brothers with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, I pray that our eyes and ears will be open and that we will hear what giving is, what it looks like, and its heart issue. Thank you, my King. Thank you for the Apostle Paul penning this. Thank you for God breathing your spirit through Paul so that we may this very day be encouraged by the awesome gift that has been presented to your praise and to your glory. Amen. Remember in the flow of this text, he was talking about the Macedonian giving and how they gave, and it was based on the grace of God, and even in their affliction and in their deep poverty, they had a single-mindedness in which they gave. In the middle of writing those first eight verses of chapter 8, he comes to the ultimate gift, the ultimate giver. Again, I shared with you over these last months, I think I started into giving in May, that it is a heart issue in the body of Christ. It has got nothing to do with the tithe, Uh, It it is a matter of the individual's heart. We looked last week at his riches. That Jesus Christ was preexistent and eternal. Not one or the other. He's both. Okay. Uh, There are a lot of heretics who believe he was preexistent. But they do not believe that he is eternal. If he is not both, he is not God. Okay. He is God. So when you speak of the riches of Jesus Christ, I can summarize it quickly. He possesses all eternity and all that eternity contains. That's his riches. That's his riches. So when you say Christ is rich, then you have to say he is as rich as God is rich. Okay? All power and authority is His. All power and authority was created by Him. Okay? Now then, I want to move into His poverty. Yet for your sake, He became poor. And I was truly fascinated as as I went through this and I have been reading this and and looking at the original manuscripts and all the rest of it. uh, I was a tad bit befuddled by some of the things that I ran into. It was for our sake. Okay, do you understand what that means, right? It wasn't for his sake. It was for our sake. And yet, when I read some of the things that are written, you can always get heretics. Uh, I do not waste my time reading heretics. Okay, Um, uh, I had a friend of me who expressed it to me about the Secret Service. The Secret Service was originally created to keep from counterfeiting 
the United States currency. And they do not study false bills. They study the original so that as soon as they see a false, they are so attuned to the original, they can spot it just like that. I believe that we could learn from that. Let me know what truth is, and then I can spot the error. There's a book that I have ordered for all of you. As soon as I get them, I'll have them up here. And they go through and show some of the teachings that are out there and the error that is behind their teaching. And it it is based on um, counterfeiting the Holy Spirit is the only way I can describe it. But if you look at it, that is just an outcome of a flawed foundation. So you, you'll get your opportunity if you're interested. Uh, I ordered the books, and quick as I get them, you'll get yours. All right? But I read saints, okay? I love old church history because I, I, I stand in awe of some of these people. And one that, it, it, it's kind of perplexing at times, but I'll give you three that I run across. St. Augustine. St. Augustine had called his readers to imitate Christ in what he called the graces of his life. Okay, and it's, it's really a good read. But he, he has a list of these graces, and one of the graces of Christ's life was poverty, and he quotes this verse. All right. And he urges St. Augustine urges Christians to live lives, quote, of poverty in this world. Because you wanted to be imitators and followers of Christ. One of his sermons, I quote, let the beggars come. He invites them through. Though he was rich, he became poor. Unquote. So that was to play to the poor of the time. I was stunned, to be honest with you, on how many people take this text. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. And the mindset is the poverty of Christ in his economics. Okay, now you you can sit and say, well, that's what the Catholics do. Okay, Thomas Aquinas is not Catholic. Here's what he says. This verse appropriates the life of poverty which Christ led. We should take that vow. Unquote. Okay, Mr. Calvin, John Calvin on his commentary in Second Corinthians, quote, we see what destitution and lack of all things awaited him right from his mother's womb. And we should also. He himself says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, and the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Luke 9, 58. Thus, he sanctified poverty, poverty in his own person, so that the believers should no longer shrink from it, and by his poverty he has enriched us. Unquote. 
Okay? Is that what this is about? This text is a commentary on the economic status, the material possessions of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? I can go on and on and on. It is a very common, even today, teaching that Christians should be poor. I have heard this text preached. And some preacher used this verse as, as a, as a, as a compelling, as a moving force of the gospel. And, and that this absolute poverty that Jesus lived in. And I've heard it preached, and every time I've heard it, it, it is to gather sympathy for the Lord's poverty. As if that sympathy towards his poverty is a virtue. I've seen it done on Calvary. People preach the crucifixion and they speak of all of the pain and the suffering and the agony that Christ endured. And, and, and you stir sympathy of the congregation for the agony and somehow that is connected to believing in redemption. It has nothing to do with redemption. Sympathizing for someone suffering, though terrible as it is, even to the point of the cross, or sympathizing for someone's poverty, as terrible as that can be, is not an issue in the gospel. Please understand that. 8.9 says nothing of Jesus' economy. His material condition in this world. And when I watch people try to turn these, whether it's the cross... Or poverty, they're, they're trying to move people's emotions. That is all they're doing. And, and you know, and, it, and it's funny because people who are comfortable are moved to pity because the Lord had no hole, the Lord had no nest, nowhere to lay his head. How can I have a beach house on the Hamptons? Okay, well, if you were very successful in in business, maybe you have a beach house in the Hamptons. I, I had a family that I was dealing with when I was doing the men's retreat back east. Uh, wealthy. And I'm not talking, I'm talking, wow. <laughs> okay, you know, and they don't like to be involved in the church because they believe that people look down on them because they are wealthy. Now, I'm not talking, I'm talking beach house on the Hamptons. And they felt guilty because Hurricane Sandy didn't even knock a window out of their house. And everything around them is flattened. Okay, I said, well, what damage did you have? He says, it floated my water heater. And I had to have my water heater replaced. And he says, but it's good because I wanted to get one of them instant ones that you hang on the wall. (laughs) I was like, well, there you go. If it floats that sucker, then you don't have to worry about the house. (laughs) Okay, but they're very concerned. Because people in the church look at them as, well, why aren't you giving more? Okay? And, you know, but nobody knows what they give now, do they? I mean, every Sunday, he takes his entire Sunday school class out to lunch and has for years. And he picks the places, and I guess it's not like McDonald's, but he takes them all out. 
and has been doing it for years. And it's funny, none of them are complaining. And, and you know, it's, it's just anyway. But I watch people will say, but the Lord in his poverty, how can you ever have a savings account? Remember, they could only give turtle doves at his circumcision. That's a sign of poverty. He had nowhere to lay his head. They divided his garments. He didn't even have a tomb of his own. He was deprived of all the earth is and all that the earth has. And let me tell you something. It has nothing to do with this verse. Okay? Listen, Jesus... Now let me show you this because... I. I when you get your emotions into it, you're like, oh, my Lord, he didn't have nothing. He walked around in sandals. Okay. Jesus did not make us rich by becoming economically poor. All right. The gospel of salvation is no more to be equated with Jesus's finances as it is equated to the pain of his suffering on the cross. They are not the issue. But they do pull on human emotions. And when they do that, they're missing his poverty. Has nothing to do that he lived in poor Circumstance. Let's be realistic. He lived in a society that was occupied by the Roman government. He had to pay his taxes to the Jewish government. He had to pay his taxes to the Roman government. So he was t- twice taxed. That would make anybody poor. Okay? The issue of his poverty is the reason I picked out those two songs. God had to become a man. That's poverty. I mean, that that sets a whole new level of becoming poor. There is no salvation through the economic sacrifices of Jesus Christ. In fact, if there were the case of his being economically impoverished, he would have been a lot poorer than he was in his society now, I know this is going to shock you, but you've got to think through it. All right? In his society, he wasn't poor. All right? He had a life in trades. Today, if you've got a trade, you can make a decent living even in hard times. You may not make as much, but you if you have a trade, you can do something. He had a trade. He wasn't a day laborer. He wasn't a beggar. Listen, we always go back and, you know, we sing, Hark the Herald Angel singing, He was born in a manger, my goodness. Why? Because the inn was full. It wasn't that he didn't have, his dad didn't have his MasterCard. There wasn't no place to stay. So they put him in the manger. It wasn't that his parents were beggars. 
He gave turtle doves. Well, he had just left Nazareth to go to Bethlehem and he's got a woman heavy with child. You want him to bring a calf too? Really? No, I got a pregnant woman. I'm going to get a dove. Why? Cause. He was a son of a carpenter. He had a trade. His Galilean ministry that we always quote, the foxes have holes. And you know what? During what he said, you know what he had done? Are you you ready for this? He had left his home. He had a home in Nazareth. He was south of Galilee, and he didn't have a home. It wasn't like he could catch a cab and drive back and see Ma. He stayed with friends. That's what all itinerant preachers do. He wore the robe of a rabbi. He walked into the synagogue, and if he walks in with the robe of a rabbi, guess what? He teaches. And they step forward and say, we will put you up and feed you. He stayed with friends. He had many help him and his disciples. Listen, in Luke 8, it talks about all the people he was healing. If you or a loved one were healed by him, would you support his ministry? It is just tough for me to get this impoverished picture of Jesus and the disciples. If you're really honest to what it says. He was no poorer than any normal first century Jew. Listen, if they were so poor, how's come they had to have somebody in charge of the money box? It's just a question. I mean, if you're poor, I don't even have a money box. In John's gospel, chapter 12 and 13, you see that he had enough money to help other people out of their surplus. So when you talk about Jesus Christ becoming poor, it is not to be tangled up with the material realm. All right, let me show you something else. If you go back to chapter 6, verse 10. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich. Is Paul talking about giving away his money? What's Paul talking about? Spiritual conditions. Okay, now, it is tough for an uneducated man as myself to say, well, I think John Calvin's wrong. Okay, Thomas Aquinas doesn't know what he's talking about. Okay, you can get yourself into trouble really quick going down that road. But you know what? They don't. They don't. That's not the poverty that they're speaking of here that is Christ. Um, Paul's life sacrifice 
to get the people to the gospel um, is the same as Christ's poverty. Except Christ's poverty dwarfs Paul's because Christ had to become incarnate. Okay, that's why we sang those two songs. I want you to think about that when the Christmas holidays come because we talk about gifts and all the rest of it. I'm talking about the poverty of Jesus Christ. How he was rich and became poor. Just read, read these verses on your own at some other time. Try Galatians 4.4. 4. God born of a woman. Try Romans chapter 8 verse 3. Made in the likeness of sinful flesh. Try Colossians 1.20. He has to come to the cross. Try Romans chapter 1 verse 3. When he needed to descend from David. Try John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 7. He was for a little while made lower than the angels. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Manifested himself in the flesh. That is becoming poor. When you are in charge of existence to take on that is humiliating. He laid aside all of his will and he left the very face-to-face communion with the Father. And he took on human form. Now then, I want I have two texts that I want to look at briefly that ha- are the best illustrations of his poverty. Okay. Uh, first one is out of Philippians chapter 2. Beginning at verse 6. Although he existed in the form of God. He did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Okay. We read that last week. He was God. He set that aside. Verse 7. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. That's pretty impressive. He didn't hold on to what he was in his glory, but he emptied himself. That's serious poverty. He was tempted as you and I, First John says, but he was without sin. He was tempted all the way unto death, death on a cross. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Paul is referring to he was rich and he became poor. He left the glory of the Godhead to be in the clay pot. What Paul is referring to is this. His riches were the glory of God. He was before the world was made. He was God. He was equal with God. It's why he told the Jews, 
I was before Abraham was born. I am. Okay, I am means I am self-existent. I do not depend on anybody or anything for anything. That includes God the Father. He became poor. The word there you see, emptied, he emptied himself. It is literally a term that is, uh, in the Greek, is synonymous with poured out. Poured out and empty are interchangeable. He was poured out. His poverty was his incarnation. He came all the way down. He came so far down that he entered death. He even entered death on a cross. The most humiliating way that you could die. It was to set an example to all who would see. It was not efficient. It was never intended to be efficient. They stripped you naked and stuck you up in the air until you suffocated. That was the penalty. It was humiliation. That is his poverty. Another text that is very similar to this uh, that I I really like. One of these days I think I may preach this book. Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning at verse 8. Therefore it says, and then he quotes Psalm 68, 18. When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. Verse 9 is the commentary on what Paul just wrote. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He gives you the commentary on it. This is another view. Uh, the, the psalm there, chapter 68, is a prophecy in regards to Christ. And he's picturing his triumph. We looked at in second chapter of Second Corinthians of a triumph where the general marches through the city with the captives in the front and the aroma of the incense burners and the crushed flowers going up and this great totalitarian uh, total victory. It, in a, to, to, for it to be a triumph, it has to be, I don't have to have a fort there anymore. I have vanquished my enemy, the opposition, and to such a degree that there is no need for a military presence there ever again. That's the picture that you're getting out of chapter 4 of Ephesians. The conquering general. And when the conquering general comes back, he passes out the spoils. That's what Christ does. He ascended and descended. Okay, listen. You can't ascend unless you descend. You got that? You can't come back with captives and spoils unless you have come down. Okay, here in verse 9, it says he descended into the lower parts of the earth. See, he had to suffer the humiliation of this planet. First Peter chapter 3 says that he actually went into where the demons were captive. Okay, And he proclaimed to them his triumph, how he had vanquished them. Ascending is the triumph of Christ. He's returning from his battle on earth. And he goes back to the glories of heaven. 
back to the glory that he had with the fathers before creation. He set free from the rule of darkness those who would believe. Those were the captives. Think about the captives he took with it. I was thinking about this and, and just pondering it because, you know, we all get caught up in the air to meet him in the sky, right? Everybody knows that. Now, you may not believe in the rapture. Fine. You stay here. I'm going to the clouds. All right. I, I'm not staying. If you want to stay here and go through it, go knock yourself out. But if you think about that before the cross, nobody went to heaven. Now, listen, paradise if God calls it paradise, I'm thinking it's not a bad place. It's not like a Motel 8. Okay, I'm, it's, it's, you know, it's five star. All right? But nobody could go because the penalty of sin has not been paid. So when he ascended, who went with him? Abraham, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elijah. Well, the one went, never mind. But do you know what I'm trying to get at? They all went. Why? It's open. Now then, think about it. When he comes back again and makes his appearance, we meet him where? In the clouds so we can what? Go to the wedding feast of the Lamb. So you have, here's the pre of the coming. Why? He takes captives free. See, Christians, you're still in this bottle, this container. And let's be realistic. Sometimes it's just a pain. You know, it has aches and it ages and it causes us grief. And, it, and sometimes it's just tough to hang out with. But there's coming a time when I will shed this container. I will receive a body that has the ability to live eternally in sinless perfection. And so why would I hold on to this container? Why? You have been set free. Why? Because he took on the veil of humanity. He became God incarnate. Not only that, even to this day, he gives gifts to the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, he who descended is himself. Also, he who ascends far above all heavens so that he might fill all things. The eternal God, rich, beyond your wildest imagination, beyond your and our combined understanding, became poor. How poor? He humbled himself into human flesh. God. And he even willingly, for the joy set before him, murdered on a cross. That's his poverty. You have a free, sovereign God over all of creation. He created all powers of the universe. In his poverty... He comes under those powers for our sake. He did it. I want you to stop. Nate brought up the fact that next week we're having communion. Next week, I want you to think about this, what he just did. And think about Corinthians eleven twenty four, My body, which is 
for you. That's his poverty. That's his poverty. Okay? It's nothing to do with economics. It has God taking on the incarnation to submit himself to all the things that you and I deal with, yet without sin. And he did it for one reason and one reason only. For our sake. That's poverty. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise, thank you. Uh, Lord, I, I praise you for the great men who have come before me. And yet, Father, I pray that all of us will bow before your scriptures. It's not a matter of us mastering your book. It is your book mastering us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for this great, uh, amazing redemption. And Father, thank you that you are taking the foolish and the weak to confound the wise and to overthrow the strong. We praise you, Lord. And Father, I know that we can't grasp this until we see you face to face and know as we are known. And yet, Father, it is before us even now that in his poverty, for our sake, we became rich. Thank you. I, 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 thank you. To your glory and praise. Amen.